0: Hey everyone, welcome to the cattle Menu Podcast. I'm your host, Caroline Rose, the founder and CEO of K-Rose Company and cattle Menu. Through our conversations here, we share the latest ideas and techniques to help you start, improve, and expand your farmer ranch. Join us as we visit with industry experts and cattle producers to get honest ins and outs of beef production. We'll dive into topics such as cattle handling, nutrition, cattle markets, genetics, and so much more. We encourage everyone who's involved in the industry to listen. Let's dive in. We are excited to have Levi with us today on the podcast. Welcome, Levi.
1: Hi, thank you.
0: Why don't you start and just give us a little bit about your background and a little detail into your operation?
1: Yeah, my name Levi Gorsuch. grew up on ranches, um, kind of all along Highway 2 in Nebraska. My dad, grandparents, um, it's just always been a family career choice, I guess you would say. We're big into rodeo. Um, so I was from the, I think my dad put me on a sheep like when I was like seven months old. So rodeo has always been a big part of our life too. High school rodeo, college rodeo, family, like my cousin Dean, uh, he was a two time world champion steer wrestler. Um, so yeah, we rodeo has been a big part alongside ranching. Now we're, uh, I'm kind of on my own. I'm the first one in my family to ever do like seed stock. Everybody else has just been commercial cow-calf operations. So I've kind of ventured out and went down the seed stock road.
0: You had a photo on social media go viral. Yeah. About Legacy. And I think it talks a lot about kind of the foundation of your beliefs in not only the industry, but what's important. So for those of you who haven't seen the photo, I'll of course put it in the show notes. But why don't you talk a little bit about how you are staying true to some of that legacy and also making your operation work for you guys, which is down the seed stock path and tweaking it a little bit. So have that conversation with me about how you can do both and at the same time.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, cause we, we don't treat our registered cows any differently. Um, we treat them just like, you know, they were commercial cows, you know, they got to still earn their living. You know, they got to earn their keep is what we always say. And so, you know, my grandpa, he's just one of those guys that you could like sit and talk and learn from for hours every day. And so he's been a crucial part in you know, teaching me the ways of, being a good cattleman. Um, It's not only just being a good cattleman, but being a good person that goes a long way too, especially, you know, we're in the seed stock business. And so from taking classes with you guys, you know, it's not your, it's also people business. And so he's taught us that being a good human being can go a long way. And uh, then my dad, he, like I said, we grew up on multiple different ranches along highway two. And just, he's always a phone call away, almost 33 years old. And I can still call either one of them if I have a question, a concern, uh, just run an idea past them. I also think, you know, they can learn from me too, because we're maybe a little more open-minded on how we do things. We're not stuck in our ways. And so that's been something, if you recall back at Cattleman U Live, that was something that was going on with us changing our calving date compared to what my dad and grandpa have been used to.
0: Yeah. And I think one thing that you mentioned is the seed stock business being a people business. I think that we have waves where that becomes more important. Then we kind of get to where it's a little less important. And then pendulum swings back to where it's more important. And I think we're we're headed back to where it's going to be more important as market volatility, as inputs increase, I think that we really want to know the face of who's raising these bulls. And the other thing that you said that I think is a key piece that is missing is to be a good cattleman. And I think to have both of those together is really where seed stock businesses are going to succeed, is really understanding livestock and understanding people and it is about people i mean someone has to raise their hand to buy the bowl and so i just really loved that photo because i'm really sentimental in my family whenever my grandparents ask about the operation i just think of all the work and the hours that they put in to get us here and then i see my niece and nephew and i dream about what that looks like and so I just really admire how you guys have been flexible in tweaking the program to fit you, but also still, I'm really respecting what your grandparents and parents have done.
1: Oh, yeah. When my grandpa and grandma come down, you know, he's going to be 90 in January. And I always, he always wants to go drive through the cows and uh, look at, you know, our upcoming bulls. And when he says they look good, like I take that to heart. Like I'm like, well, grandpa thinks they look good then they must look good. Like, cause he, he will shoot, shoot it to you straight. Like one of your horses or something looks a little thin, he, he's gonna, you know, he's gonna tell you. And so it's always kind of nice to have grandpa's stamp of approval.
0: Yeah. And also to raise cattle that are still good to him, I think yeah. is means that you're, you have a foundation in your herd of cattle that are going to last and you're not chasing a bunch of the trends. If, if he still appreciates the quality, I think that says a lot about the cattle you're raising.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and I'll get more into it. but I mean, that's like one of our herd bulls that we bought this year out of Montana was, you know, a bull that's out of like a 20 year old bull that they had kept semen on and we knew what it took to get to where the Hereford breed is now. And so we kind of thought that was a good choice to go back. Yeah. Have
0: you guys always been in the Hereford breed industry or did you, is the seed stock segment in the Hereford, a new adventure?
1: Yeah. So Hereford and seed stock is all new. Like we had Hereford bulls, you know, my dad, he, you know, breed like his solid black cows to Herefords, And so we always had that. We went down the Charlet route um, a little bit when we were just selling all the calves to do more of a terminal cross. And so then it was in 2015, um, I sold all my commercial cows and started buying registered cows. So
0: when we look at the Hereford industry as kind of a whole, in Montana, we have some big players, which you know, yep. but it does not seem t- that there is a lot of Hereford breeders or new breeders entering the market. And so I think it's incredible that you guys have entered the market. Talk a little bit to me about why you chose that breed and kind of some of the bloodlines that helped you come to that decision and why it fits your environment.
1: Yeah. So when I knew I wanted to like start raising bulls, you know, I was kicking around ideas and I felt like the Angus market was already very flooded anyway. I looked at the Charlet route, but then I also want I just wanted to breed, have a breed that had like multiple options for him. And that's where Herford just kind of checked all the boxes like you know, you can sell females to be bred black to make the black baldy, you can sell bulls to people to make the black baldy the other way, you know, just the hybrid vigor of them. It really is crazy to see all the research of, you know, a black baldy calf compared to a straight black calf. The Hereford Association is the only closed book in the country. And I just thought that meant a lot that they're very true to, you know, staying with the breed and not needing uh, percentages to up the count.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, there's a supply demand thing too, right? We obviously see a huge supply of Angus bulls on the market. There's obviously a large demand, but I think there's a big demand for Hereford bulls. And there's oftentimes not a supply that matches that demand simply because, you know, we see big sales. I mean, lots of good Hereford bulls sold in sales. And then that's a lot of the known options. And so you guys have kind of taken a different approach to marketing and you've tried some different things. What, how are you going to market your bowls when we look at 2023?
1: Yeah. So we're actually going to use K-Rose company. You know, we had tried the online wholesale. I thought in my mind, I'm like, well, it'd be kind of on their own time, but then, you know, people still had to remember sale closes at a certain time and we did get several people this year you know even calling us after the sale and was like do you still have bulls available you know we missed your sale date and so i just know how busy everybody has gotten and so we just decided to go the private treaty route we've been obviously working with grayson we're excited because we're gonna this in 2023 will be our largest selection of bulls we have to offer and it's really exciting because you know we've really Included embryo transfer and AI into our herd, so this will, this will be exciting. A little bit, it's a little bit of a learning experience, but it just kind of goes back to the people business too. Like I feel like this allows people to come look at our bulls on their time. You know, we can take our time walking through them and not be rushed, or them have to make. A, you know, I hope they have to make a quick decision because I'm hoping we have the demand for our bulls that well, if you come back in a week these bulls might already be spoken for you know so they do i do want that fear of missing out you know we talk about that a mm-hmm. lot so i do want to get that going with our bulls it's hard you know we like have only been in it for seven years and you look at these ranches that you know they've been doing it for 75 years so we just have to kind of remember you know we're on chapter seven and they're on chapter 75 and to not get discouraged, just keep plugging away at it.
0: Yeah, the comparison game, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, it's so easy to compare. It's so easy to just look at sale averages and there's way more behind the scenes than ever is displayed on paper. And so I completely understand what you're saying. You're on the phone with the auctioneer, the ringman, the sale barn, the catalog designer, the photographer, the videographer, And on top of that, you need to market your sale so you can get potential buyers in the seats. If managing all of that sounds like a lot of work, you're right. K-Rose Company is your one-stop shop for all things marketing production sales. With over seven years of experience, we know just what it takes to manage the sale day, get more customers to notice your bulls, decrease costs, and increase your average. Get your free quote by visiting our website at krosecompany.com slash production-sale-marketing. I think that private treaty is a great option. I think it's often overlooked because there is the excitement of a sale. The auctioneer, the people, I think sometimes it gives a false confidence to have that momentum. And my personal theory is sell them private treaty, as long as you can sell them private treaty, because you don't get to shake everyone's hand at the sale. You can try, but you greet people with a microphone. And when it's private treaty, they can make it after their kids sporting event, or they can come on Saturday, or, you know, if they need to look on Sunday afternoon, however, it really fits into those, their life sell and their family, I think it works a little bit better. Um, When you're thinking about switching to private treaty, how does that marketing plan compare your bulls to the females you're going to offer? Because you're also going to offer females. Are you planning to market them at the same time or market them a little differently?
1: Yeah, we're probably going to market a little bit differently. So what we're trying to get to is where like our baldy heifers, because that's one thing we try to really push is selling black baldy heifers. And we want those sold a little bit earlier than our bulls.
0: The black baldy heifers have high demand. Every time a sediment comes on the video, they just, it's like craze.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We actually were planning on keeping some last year because they, they, You know, we do embryo transfer and we're like, well, you know, they're known for fertility. So let's keep some of them. And we're actually near a fairly decent, busy highway. We actually had somebody pull in, they seen them on corn stalks, pulled in and they bought them that day from us. And we weren't planning on selling them.
0: Everything's for sale for the right price, right? Yes. When you guys look at a five or 10 year plan and you're growing your operation, What are some things that you're going to do to make sure that you stay consistent to your core values and some of your mission um, of the operation as your growth happens?
1: We, I guess we want to always just offer about the same number of bulls every year. So then there is that demand. I don't want to ever get to where, you know, we're having to no sale bulls or keep them over another year. And so I just think, right, like I said, this year, we're going to have about 30 bulls for sale. So it's going to be a good baseline for us to kind of figure out which some of these bulls, they are born later because we did move our calving back. So it's, they're more April and May. We do have some that are February and January born. So we'll probably really market those ones hard as yearlings this year and save some of them back to sell as two-year-olds. But that's actually what we're trying to move towards all selling two-year-olds. And since we have a fall calving herd, 18-month-old bulls, just to have a little bit of age on all of our bulls before we sell them. So that probably staying in like the 25 to 30 range as far as bulls. One thing we do want to, that we're going to hopefully be able to start offering this year, we've already been talking to some bull customers to give us the first chance to buy 20, 25, 40, whatever of their black baldy heifers that they use from us. And we have a customer in Alliance. We know our Hereford bulls are the only Hereford bulls on the place. Everything else is either black. And so we know if there's a black baldy calf, it's going to be out of one of our Hereford bulls. And so we've been talking to them already about purchasing just with it being our first year, like maybe their top 20 baldy black broccoli face heifers. Then we want to obviously them black and then turn around and sell them as bred heifers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You talk a lot about the black baldies and how do you incorporate that into either your marketing or your guys's commercial aspect of your herd?
1: Like I said, we only have a set number of registered cows. So a lot of our commercial cows actually used to be registered cows. And so then we use uh, TD Angus bulls to breed our Hereford cows to get the black baldy that way. But then like my dad, he, what's nice is, you know, we buy these fairly expensive herd bulls that, you know, we only use for maybe two or three years before then we've got to switch out so it's been nice because then he takes those and breeds, uses those to breed his black cows. So now we're able to say like, look, here's this son of this bull. This is what this bull does on a black cow. And now you can purchase a son of his that's going to do the same exact thing for you. And so that's been kind of nice because we can show potential customers like, look, this is because a lot of times, you know, seed stock producers, you only see what a Hereford bull can do on a Hereford cow. This really shows our potential customers like, yes, we, we use this bull, and we've got now 10 sons for sale from him, and now look at what he does on a black cow too, and these, these sons can do the same thing for you
0: absolutely at cattleman you you learned a couple things at cattleman you live that you implemented one of them was switching your calving date so can you talk a little bit about that and how you implemented it and the impact that it's made so far or you think it's going to make
1: so it was the ranching for profit session and they were really talking about where kind of is your operation bleeding from like what's the biggest expense you have and Well, ours was obviously hay, which is probably the biggest expense for a lot of people, especially the last couple of years. And so luckily we, as I'm sitting here looking out my window, there's, you know, six feet tall corn across the road from us. So we sit in a very large farming community that offers a lot of cheap winter feed. Well, uh, most of those farmers don't want you off their fields until April, you know, that's April's when they really start kind of getting in the middle of January because we were starting to calve into January, beginning of February. Well, when they come home, we have to start feeding them hay. Like last year, I didn't feed a blade of hay when the cows were on corn stalks because we didn't get hardly any snow. But then you bring them home middle of January and you start feeding them hay and we don't go to summer pasture. You know, some of our lease ground, we can't go on until June 1st. So here we are feeding hay, you know, February, March, April, May, four and a half months When, if we would move our calving back to April, some of those cows could then stay an additional two months out on cheaper feed, grazing corn stalks. We use cover crop. We have a farmer that plants an African cabbage for us, and that's a frost resistant plant. And so you'll go out there in December and it's still green, especially like on a year like we had last year. And so it was just, it really opened my eyes when I was there at Cattleman U live that we could literally cut our hay costs in half by doing something as simple as moving our calving back to start uh, the beginning of April. So we actually did it this year we the cows will start April 2nd the heifers will still start the middle of March and so it'll be interesting to see I'm actually I'm needing to get a hold of like we put up some of our own hay but we then purchase a lot of hay. It's kind of interesting now I used to have a pretty good idea of how much hay we would go through from January to May and now I'm like Thinking, okay, what, do, what are we gonna need now? I might be able to, like I said, hopefully cut it in half.
0: Yeah, and financially that will make a big difference.
1: Huge difference, yeah. Especially like I said last year, you know, when you're buying 170 ton alfalfa, which is probably pretty cheap compared to what even some people, you know, I think it'll be a big thing. Because what also made us think about this was we were getting to where we were selling two year old bulls anyway. So I'm like, if we're going to sell a two-year-old bull, he might as well be born in April and instead of being born in January.
0: Right. Because when you're selling a January bull, that's a two-year-old. He's actually 26 months.
1: Yeah. And so then a lot of April, right. And so a lot of people will think that they're missing out on some of his age.
0: Yeah. Have you pre-checked yet this year?
1: We have ultrasounded our bred heifers, but we have not preg checked cows yet. So,
0: okay. And so, any change in conception rate by moving that date back? Do you expect
1: the cows? You know, I go down there once a week to check. Um, They're about forty five minutes from us down near Kansas, and so far, I've actually only seen two cows being chased. So it'll be really interesting to see. Yeah, because they. One thing, so we obviously have a nutritionist that works very closely with us too. And, and then even our vet had said by moving our calving back, it allowed our cows to be on summer pasture for already 30 days, where normally we were breeding them here at the house and then taking them to summer pasture the same day. And so their body was not only then trying to conceive, but it was also having a complete switch in their diet because they were going from hay and alfalfa to green grass. And so they said our vet who does all of our embryo work said it should make a huge difference in conception rates because those cows will have already been on green grass for 30 days. Actually, it was because where they went, we own that pasture. So we took them down. It'll, they were down there for about 45 days before we AI'd them. That was the only thing was we definitely had to manage our time a little bit differently because we were actually now breeding at summer pasture instead of breeding at home but it worked out really good.
0: Yeah. So maybe a little switch in facilities or something to that nature or different pasture rotation, but it'll be interesting when you look back a year from now to see conception rates, you know, how much hay you bought. And I don't think the quality of the bulls will be affected at all. Cause you're still selling them at two and all of that.
1: Yeah. And the nice thing is, we actually then run like our yearling bulls last year, we ran our yearling, we we try to keep our bulls out of the lot as much as possible. And so we were even able to run our yearling bulls that we kept over and sold as two-year-olds this year. We just ran them, you know, obviously once we preg check our cows, everything's bred. So we actually ran our yearling sale bulls with our cows on cover crop last year and they did really well on it.
0: Yeah, this is An interesting thing that just happened to us and we went to a deer farm in Texas and the guy made an interesting point and I always relate things back to cows and it's just how my mind works. But he said that a buck will never produce or maybe once in its life will produce a buck bigger than itself. But on the female side, if she produces a really big buck, almost every year after that, she will outproduce that first buck. And so as we think about raising livestock i think we've put a ton of emphasis on the bull that just seems to be where we have applied a lot of pressure um, is to buy the right bull and to buy good bulls and i'm a big fan of good bulls i think it does make a difference but i think that we have neglected the female side for the commercial cattlemen and i think that there's a lot of people that just go to the sale barn pick up a load of cows bring them home turn the bull in hope for the best. Yep. And everyone's situation is a little different, but just when that guy was talking about in the deer, and obviously this is a fenced in farm, right? It was the coolest experience, but it just got me thinking about what impact that cow has on the generations and the longevity of those traits that we're looking for. And when you're talking about changing, you know, your calving day, it just makes me think about the impact that the fertility you're passing on through those bulls that then are going to go to your customer's operations and what impact that will have for their herds as well.
1: Right. Yeah. We like to even keep track of like calving intervals on our cows. And as like I said, we only keep so many registered cows. So like even this year, because we have, I think we had, we went and bought some heifers from Van Newkirks and Ritters. And we raised a few of our own, but we, you know, we'll have, we'll add 11 heifers to our registered site. Well, then that means, you know, we're going to kick out five or six cows on the other end. The calving interval is one of the, the calving interval and utter is one of the big things that we use as which ones got to go because, you know, we want a cow that's going to breed 365 days, you know, hopefully. And, and instead of, you know, you have a cow that, okay, she calved first this year. We have one. She calved March 20th this year, and she didn't calve until almost May this year. And to me, that's a red flag. And so she'll go commercial.
0: Absolutely. Ladies, this one's for you. Have you been looking for the perfect planner that will help you start on the right foot? We've created the Kettle Menu Planner for ranch women, wives, mothers, and daughters who are looking to improve their operation. Our planner is packed full of the tools that will help you learn more about ranching, working with others, and knowing yourself. Not only does it include a calendar, but it's also jam-packed full of intentional questions and thoughts and action items to move the needle forward. Grab yours today at cattlemenulive.com/planner slash planner. What is something in the Seedstock world that you wish you would have known before you got into it?
1: Oh, wow. I mean, it's a, there's a lot of record keeping, especially on the Hereford side. You know, we have to DNA everything as far as a bull if you want to register their calf or any of their offspring so we, ch- we've tried to get more into DNA and just our whole herd, but even just like, yeah, record keeping, it's a lot. There's a lot that goes into it, which it's good because I like being able to give a lot of information to potential customers, but it just is something that I have to make sure I plan time for. It's something you can't put off. A lot of record keeping, a lot of weights.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. That's why my dad won't ever... Uh, do any uh for us as calving them out because you know he doesn't we, he doesn't weigh any of his own calves and that's you know we weigh everything when they're born everything gets weighed here and I don't understand how some people can be thinking they can eyeball it we have a handheld scale and we my arms I always think they get a little bit bigger during calving season because I lift you know about 100 head of calves and 80 90 pound calves it takes its toll so yeah we weigh everything.
0: I actually think weighing, Um calves as a commercial cattleman is a great tool too, because I think we try to eyeball and I think that we often label our bull decision incorrectly because we're like, oh, man, that bull threw 80 pound calves or whatever. And they're not what they, they might be 60, they might be a hundred. And I think it's a really accurate tool to weigh some calves and just get a good idea about what's actually coming out of your cows, because just like nature, I think that cows actually can do more than we think they can, and we are yeah. worried about 100-pound birth weights, and a lot of us are having 90-pound calves, but we think they're 80-pound calves.
1: I say that all the time. You know, We breed our Hereford bulls for length, that's the easiest way to put pounds on your calves. And, you know, we have a lot of 90 pound calves and I'm not scared of them because they're built right. They're long. That's how they are getting that extra weight. So that's been one thing, I guess, that you kind of almost have to kind of give a sales pitch on when, you know, somebody comes and looks at the calves and they see the 90, 95 pound birth weight. I'm like, Yes, but look at how long he is. That's where you're getting those extra pounds at.
0: I'm really fearful about what low birth weight, shorter gestation is doing overall in the industry. I had a whole episode with Brady Blackett on it. We talk a lot about it in humans. It's much easier to see in humans, right? In the NICU even yep. if they're born 3 weeks early which in the calving world is like no big deal but 3 weeks on a little baby oftentimes their lungs aren't ready they are slower to develop so my long term thinking is fertility issues what are we doing you know the feedlots are saying the number one cause of death in feedlots is lung issues how many of those are coming because these calves are being born premature because We assume our cows can only handle a 70 pound birth weight and they actually can handle a 90. We've just never given them the opportunity. And so I think that is an issue in the industry that we have got to swing back and we have to let these cows do their work and have some bigger calves. I'm not talking 150. I'm talking what God created them to be able to do and shortening the gestation is going to come back to bite us at some point.
1: We had To kind of even go off of that, two years ago, we had what they called a snow apocalypse. You know, it rained for a full day while well, the ground was frozen because it was still early March, rained, and then it snowed, and then it was like 70 mile per hour winds. And, uh, you know, you're hearing of all these people, and I get like some people got into flooding, and they lost a ton of calves. We didn't lose a calf through that time period, and I contribute to that that they were bigger stronger calves, and were able to um, move through the mud and, you know, just maintain body temperature better because they were already a bigger calf than, you know, a 50, 60, 70 pound calf.
0: Yeah. One thing that hasn't been studied, and I don't know how much you know about the hog industry, but I learned one of my friends is, has some hog barns. And she said that if a sow has 10 piglets and nurses 10 piglets, she can only ever nurse 10 piglets she's created to nurse 10 and that's how it works. And so I, again, relate that back to cattle, but to me, I'm like, if, have we trained these cows to only have 60 pound calves or 70 pound calves? And so if they get any extra, you know, 80 pounds or even 90 pounds, which should be no problem as human intervention created some issues Yeah, and are we training them? So as someone who is just starting out in the industry, whether it be commercial or seed stock, are some pieces of advice or things you wish you would have known or some tips and tricks you have for them?
1: Like I said, my cattle were always either at my dad's or somewhere. And so when I brought them down and was finally doing it on my own, I felt like everything had to go perfect. And with dealing with cattle, very rarely does it ever go perfect. And I think that's the big thing is just even the mental side of it, you know, don't give up just because one thing goes bad, or it doesn't work, you know, keep trying new things. And don't think that, you know, because social media makes everybody's place look like a perfect, nothing goes wrong type of place. And I think that's where, you know, some, if you were young, and you're watching these I can speak for experience, you know, you watch these big ranches, you know, it looks like everything is sunshine and rainbows. And you're over here, you know, you're struggling, Um, maybe you lose a calf or something. And when you don't have that many losing one is a big thing. And just not comparing your chapter one to somebody else's chapter 50.
0: Yeah, I think that perfection thing is a big deal. I just saw the lady on TikTok who has the coffee shops in Vegas. I don't know if you've ever seen her TikToks, but you should go (laughs) if you, she has like this gourmet donut and coffee shop. And she said, she just did a TikTok on advice for business owners. And she's like, just start. You will have to ebb and flow. You will have to change your business model a little, but if you perfect it before you offer it to the public, you will never offer
1: it. Yeah. And I think that was part of my thing was, uh, you know, you're, I have a grandpa and a dad who have done this for years and have years of experience that I felt like I needed to know everything that they knew already. It's not you. A lot of it's just learning as you go. And that was a big thing that, you know, I wanted to be perfect because I didn't want to look like I was failing in front of my dad and my grandpa.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, perfect. This has been a great conversation. Is there anything else that you would like to cover before we're done today?
1: The really only other thing is I had a few notes down here, you know, so we're spring and fall calving. We have both. Our fall calving is mostly embryo transfer. What makes us a little bit differently than I guess most ranches, like, especially like in Western Nebraska, where it's pretty much just all grass and everything, we have to kind of incorporate different forages throughout the year. So like right now, our bred heifers um, are actually on what's called teff grass. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's a, somebody doesn't, it's an Ethiopian grass that only needs to be rained on once before it takes off. And then you can actually use it as hay forage um, too, but it's super tender, very fine stemmed. And so it's actually very palpable for um, like younger cattle to graze. So we do that. I actually just got off the phone before I got on this meeting. We have some bags of turnips and radishes uh, that we will be broadcasting soon. That's just another winter forage for us. We just we do things a little bit uh, differently down here, just because we have to. You know, we're like I said, we're surrounded by uh, farm ground. We have to go clear like our summer pastures that we own are a mile away from Kansas, so it's a forty-five minute drive to those. And I think that's where I learned a lot at Cattleman U Live that it's, you have to do what's right for your operation and not copy somebody else. Cause if you copy somebody else, it could even bankrupt you.
0: Absolutely. The other thing that I think is you have some income that is outside the ranch Correct. and that I think helps I think it's almost impossible nowadays to try and buy a cow herd, buy the land and make 100% of your income off and for some reason there's been this stigma that having income outside of the operation was a negative thing but we know you know they say that average day millionaire has seven streams of income so why would that be a negative but that has also been part of your story is supplementing the ranch income Um, in order to be able to make decisions that work best for your family.
1: We wouldn't be where we are at today without our supplemental income. That is for sure.
0: Yeah. And I think you're proving that it can be done. You can Mm -hmm. ranch um, and have the lifestyle of the ranch and the pluses of the ranch, as well as have a job that supplements and be able to do both. It might not be easy, but it's easy.
1: You know, when you have your own place, we say we never want to go on vacation because we love being, you know, when you have your own place, it's just where you want to be all the time. And so, but it is a lot of work. It's, you know, we own two medical clinics too, you know, so we have one in Hastings and one in Grand Island. And so we don't get a lot of vacation, but, you know, we love what we do and do what we love. So,
0: yeah. And it's a choice, right? And it's a lifestyle that you absolutely chose. And I mean, we chose it too. And we love it. And some of it comes with, you know, a larger demand during some seasons for work. But I think that's one of the benefits. It's like you put your mind to something, you're going to raise some cattle the best of your ability, and you're going to do it no matter how hard it gets.
1: Yep. And I guess one thing I would say is don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, we used to try to do everything just the two of us and we've gotten a lot better about well just what was it Sunday you know we gathered some calves and had a couple extra people come horseback and people are more willing to help than you think and
0: I think people want to help and especially you know if if someone gets sick nowadays with COVID or anything like that it's almost when you're on the other side and you want to help it's almost awkward if they don't give you an opportunity Because you're like, I know I should do something. I want to do something. I know they could use some help, but they're not opening their mouth and giving me any ideas. And so it's much easier to just say, you know, here's X, Y, Z. If you'd like to help, here's what we could use help with. And I think that as a society, we need to be better at that because we always say, just call if you need anything.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yep. No, I totally agree.
0: And then people never call. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, this was great, Levi. I think what you guys are doing is um, incredible. And I think it lends a lot of hope to people who want to get into the industry. We have thought that this was a game that you had to be born into for a long time. And that's shifting. And I think that it doesn't have to look the same. You can have businesses, um, you know, this can be part of your portfolio, and you can still live the lifestyle and do a good job. and I think that's an important message for people to know is your story is never going to look like the neighbors it's going to look very different. We need everyone in agriculture. Right. If you want to provide food or fiber or any product in agriculture, doesn't matter what your scenario is. You live in LA and you want to have a little garden, please do. We need yep. everyone to be in this industry in order to feed the world and so we are one honored to have you as clients, but also we um, are big fans of the legacy that you guys have and what you're continuing to do. Oh,
1: thank you. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. We'll put all your contact information in the show notes in case anyone wants to reach out, uh, request a catalog, come buy some bowls, whatever it looks like. Um, and thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Cattlemen U Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe at cattlemenulive.com podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to review when you get there. We are excited to learn alongside you and remember the grass is greener where you water it.